If you ever get to bring a child in here that's 11 years old or older, because younger than that, we have programming over there. But I've started making out these family uh, worksheets that's got like a, it's a word search on the back and some things for children to listen for throughout the service. So if you're bringing your grandkids in or your kids in, just want to let you know that's available back there in the Welcome Center. So Jim Downs is an historian, and he wrote a book called Sick from Freedom. And part of what he writes about is during the Civil War, the Emancipation Proclamation and all that, there were millions of slaves who were free. But these newly freed slaves, because they lacked access to adequate food and, and clothing and medical care, there were a lot of them who wound up returning to the plantations from which they had been freed, back to that slavery. Similar thing happened in the exodus from Egypt. We read about that in the Bible. And the Israelites, the power of God, they're freed from their slavery. But when they get out there in the wilderness and they're facing some new hungers and new challenges, they start, they say, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to our slavery. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Christ made us free, so stand strong in that freedom. Don't go back into slavery again. Why would he even say that? Why have to warn Christians about going back into the slavery of sin? Because there's always a danger of doing that. So we're free from sin in, in two ways. Number one, we're free from the guilt of sin because we've been forgiven. But number two, we're free from the power of sin because we have the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. By definition, a Christian receives the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit at baptism. And the Holy Spirit is an inner source, a resource of power to help us have victory over sin in our lives. But if we don't connect with that source of power, if we're not in rhythm or in sync with the Holy Spirit, we will fill that God-shaped vacuum in our heart and in our soul with other things. Hurts, habits, hang-ups, addictions, and sinful acting out. We'll go back into the slavery of sin. So what this sermon series has been all about, if you're new to us today, in the last eight weeks, we've been talking about rhythm, being in rhythm with the Holy Spirit, and rhythms in the sense of spiritual disciplines that we practice to stay connected to the Holy Spirit and His power. Now what I want to do today is very simple. I want to convince those of you who've been here the whole eight weeks and haven't done a single thing that we've talked about. I don't know who you are, but I know you're out there. And I just want this to be a motivational type of message to get us to get these rhythms, give them a try. And from the statistics that I read, for instance, 32% of Christians actually engage with their Bible every day. Well, that means 68% don't. So I don't know where we are in those stats. But I want to say four things that are hopefully motivational today. Thing number one is to remember what's at stake. To remember what's at stake. Moses said, God said through Moses, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. Choose the abundant life that the Bible offers to Christians. Now, I, I like the way John Mark Comer puts this in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, where he contrasts a life that is in sync with the Holy Spirit, is being led with the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, versus a Christian life that is not. And he puts it this way. So I'm going to read it. It's kind of a long excerpt. Please stay with me. It's, I like the way he says this. So I, want, I want you to hear him say it. Number one, if we do not practice these spiritual disciplines and rhythms, we feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality. 
We feel distant from ourselves, losing sight of our identities and callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent versus what's important. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely goes away. We're always playing catch-up, never done. We're exhausted. We wake up thinking, already? I can't wait to go back to bed. We lag through our days with low-grade energy on loan from our stimulants of choice. And even when we catch up on our sleep, we feel a deeper kind of tired. We have no energy to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, and instead we turn to the cheap fix. Another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, our social media feeds, porn. We become easy prey for the tempter, furthering our sense of distance from God. We live from the surface of our lives versus the core. We're reactionary. The smallest thing is a trigger. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers, bark at our kids, get defensive, sulk, feel angry, sad, often both. Now, the flip side of that, here's the alternative. We're contrasting these two. We find our quiet place, a park down the street, a reading nook at home, a morning routine that begins before the little ones are awake and we come away. We take our time, maybe not a full hour, but we're there long enough to decompress from all the noise and traffic and stress and stimulation of modern society. We slow down and breathe. We come back to the present. We start to feel again. The whole gamut of human emotions. Not only joy, gratitude, celebration, and restfulness, but also sadness and doubt and anger and anxiety. We face the good, the bad, and the ugly in our hearts, our worry, depression, hope, our desire for God or our lack thereof, our sense of God's presence or our sense of His absence, our motivations, addictions, the coping mechanisms we reach for to make it through the week. All of this is exposed. But rather than leaking on those we love most, it's exposed in the safe place of the Father's love and voice. In our ears, we sense His voice cut through the cacophony of all the other voices. And in that silence, we hear God speak His love over us. Speak our identities and callings into being. Get His perspective on life and our humble, good places in it. We come home to what Thomas Kelly called the unhurried center of peace and power. So that's what's at stake. What kind of life do we want to have? Where do we want to live from? The superficial surface of our life or our core? Do we want to have that unhurried center of peace and power in our lives? Second thing that I hope is motivational, understand the law of process. Understand the law of process. The law of process says we tend to overestimate the big events of our lives and underestimate the processes of our lives. We overestimate the events, underestimate the processes. Romans 12.2, Paul says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Hebrew writer says, Hebrews 5, the mature have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We sing that song, Graves into Gardens. I was just thinking about that. I kind of wrote this down real quick. 
He, he turns graves into gardens. He turns oceans into highways. He, tun, he turns bones into armies. He's the only one who can. What are those? Those are all references to miracles that God performed that we read about in the Bible. Those miracles are rare. The miracles of the Bible basically happen in three time clusters. During the time of Moses, during the time of Elijah and Elisha, during the time of Jesus and the disciples, and most of the people who lived in Bible times never saw a miracle. Now, miracles are big events, and they're great, and they're important. Our baptism is a big event, and it's very important. But the word baptism means immerse, like we're immersed in water when we're baptized. But being immersed into Christ is a process, and it's something we do every day. Running an annual marathon at Disney or at Boston, that's a big event. Walking a mile a day is a process. John Maxwell says, champions are not made in the ring. They're simply recognized there. And what, what he's saying is, there is a long, arduous process that goes into becoming an elite athlete. Let me tell you about the Polgar sisters. Laszlo Polgar and his wife, Clara, had three daughters, Susan, Sophia, and Judith. Susan, the oldest, began playing chess when she was four years old. Within six months, she was defeating adults. Sophia, the middle child, did even better. By 14, she was a world champion, and a few years later, she became a grandmaster. Judith, the youngest, was the best of all. By age five, she could beat her father. At 12, she was the youngest player ever listed among the top 100 chess players in the world. At 15 years and four months, she became the youngest grandmaster of all time, younger than Bobby Fischer, the previous record holder. And for 27 years, she was the number one ranked female chess player in the world. Three Three sisters, all chess prodigies. They must have had the genius gene, right? Not so. Laszlo Polgar did not believe in inheriting genius. His belief was that you could take any child of average intelligence and if you train them, they could excel. And he used his own daughters as the experiment and he chose chess. They grew up surrounded by chess, enveloped by chess. They had... Pictures on their walls were of famous chess champions. They read books on chess. They entered every competition they could and kept files on those competitions and the play thereof. They were dedicated to chess. And the result was what we just talked about. It's the power of process. James Clear writes, New goals do not deliver new results. New lifestyles do. A lifestyle is not an outcome, it's a process. For this reason, all our energy should go into building better habits, not chasing better results. When we see an overnight success, our eyes deceive us. What we are witnessing is the hour of opportunity unleashing the potential energy of previous choices. It was not one decision, but the accumulated power of all that came before. The fuse was lit on a loaded cannon. And what I'm saying is, in these rhythms that we've talked about, we're loading 
our canon with the power of the Holy Spirit. Power of process. Oh, that's motivational. The third thing that I say that I hope is motivational is subscribe to the daily rhythms. Subscribe to the daily rhythms. So we should know what these are by now. Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. There are things in which we need to engage daily in order to be in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. And I've identified those as things that we can do, the things that are daily and the things that are explicitly connected to the Holy Spirit in the Bible, in Scripture. Here they are. Number one is Bible engagement. We want to engage with the Bible every day, whether that's listening to the Bible or reading the Bible. We, secondly is daily prayer. We want to pray every day. Number three is music, Christian music. Be filled with the Spirit by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in your heart to the Lord. We want to listen and, and sing Christian music. Number four, we want to do some kind of exercise. We want to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body. I checked with HT this past week. He said, fishing qualifies. All right, All right see? You're like a champion right there. And, and then, I really actually, there's four and a half. So the half is journaling, journaling. And I preached all about journaling last Sunday. I'm not going to go there again. So those are the, I call them the four and a half rhythms of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not just a mechanical process. It's more organic than that. I'm, I'm using the phraseology, terminology of process, but it is the way we encounter God, and it's particularly God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, on a daily basis is through these rhythms, these these habits, and these disciplines. So most of you probably know the name Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is an NFL coach. He's led his team to six Super Bowl championships. He was interviewed, and the interviewer asked him, with all you have accomplished in your coaching career, what is left that you still want to accomplish? His terse answer was this. I'd like to go out and have a good practice today. That would be at the top of my list right now. Bill understands the law of process, that champions are made. They're just recognized on the football field. They're made in that day-in and daily practice. And we have a day-in and day-out practice in which to engage as well, in which we become close to and in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. All right, the fourth and final thing that I want to say for those of us who aren't doing any of these things yet is start today. Start today. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. The Hebrew writer says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. We can always find a reason not to do something or an excuse. Solomon says in Proverbs 22, a person who is lazy and wants to stay home says, there's a lion outside. I might be killed in the streets. All right, maybe. It's not likely. The, uh, James writes in James 1.22, hearing God's teaching and doing nothing is like looking at your face in the mirror and doing nothing about what you saw. You go away and immediately forget how bad you look. I promise you, every one of us here this morning, we got up this morning, we went into the bathroom, we looked in the mirror, and we said, I got to do something about this. Now I'm looking around, maybe not everybody. We ought to do, every day we do something about this. 
But what James is saying is we need a daily routine where we look into the mirror of God's word and we do something about this, about our heart and our soul. There's a lot of work that needs to be done right here every single day. So start today. I know it's Sunday. Say, I don't know, it's Sunday. I've already been to church. Doesn't that count? Start today. God told Noah to build an ark. Now, as far as I can tell, that was a 55-year to 75-year project to build the ark. The Hebrew writer says, wasting no time, Noah built the ark. He got started. Abraham was called to travel from Haran to the land of Canaan. Now, that's approximately a 1,000-mile journey. What's that old saying? A journey of 1,000 miles begins with a single what? A single step. Hebrews 11.8, Abraham obeyed God and he started traveling. Took that first step. Joshua was called to lead the Israelites, priests first, across the Jordan River at flood tide. Joshua 3.15, and they put their feet in the water. They started. Solomon was called to build a temple about a seven-year project. 1 Kings 6.1, in mid-spring, Solomon began to construct the temple. Jesus was commissioned by God to have a three-year ministry of service and sacrifice that ended at the cross. Luke 3, 23, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began. There always has to be a beginning. We have to start somewhere sometime, if we haven't started yet. Everyone in this room is richer than 93% of people. The estimate that I read was that there have been about 108 billion people who have lived on this planet, starting with Adam and Eve. I don't know how they got that, but that's the estimate. Let's say that's it. 108 108 billion people have lived on this planet. 93% of them are dead. And we have what all of those people wish they had, whether they were a king or a queen or a monarch or a Caesar or a rich businessman or a celebrity, they would give all of their wealth to have what we have. And what we have is today. We have a day. We have time. What are we going to do with that day? James Clear writes, Today might be the best chance you have to take action. The longer you wait, the more deeply embedded you get in your current lifestyle. Your habits solidify. Your beliefs harden. You get comfortable. It will never be easy, but it may also never be easier than it is right now. A year from now, you will wish that you started today. An old proverb says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. Now, Andrew Carnegie... He was a rich businessman of a past generation, one of the richest men in America ever produced. When he was 12 years old, he was running a steam generator in a basement covered with coal soot every day, never saw the light of the sun. At 12, he went to apply for a different job as a telegraph delivery boy out in the sun, out in the fresh air. And when he was interviewed, he said, you know, I'm, I don't know the city maybe as well as everyone Maybe I'm not the right person. Maybe I am, but all I'm asking for is an opportunity and a trial. And the interviewer asked Carnegie, 
well, if we were to offer you this job, when do you think you could start? And he said, I'll start right now if you want me. He says in retrospect, he thinks that answer is why he got the job. Because he said, I'll start right now. And Dale Carnegie says, it is a huge mistake not to seize an opportunity. Now, that's in the business world. But it's certainly true in the spiritual realm as well. In the one-year Bible reading, we've been reading through the book of Acts here in this past week. And in Acts chapter 24, you have Governor Felix who's holding the Apostle Paul in custody. And from time to time, he sends for Paul to hear him preach. He likes to hear him preach. And Luke records that Paul was preaching to Governor Felix about sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. And Felix became very convicted and afraid. But this is what he said. Acts 24, 25. He says, when it's more convenient, I'll call for you. Go away for now. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you. Well, that's a sad answer. I mean, we really, he, he fades from the pages of history at that point. We don't know whatever happened to Felix, whether there was a more convenient time for him. But I was thinking about that. Just thinking, though, God has called us to many things. He has called us to peace and to rest. And he's called us to an abundant life. He's called us to holiness. I'm not sure convenience is what he's called us to. Those things are not attained through convenience. We used to sing a song when I was a kid, a hymn entitled Almost Persuaded. It's, it's based on that verse, uh, Acts 24-25. At a more convenient time, I'll send for you. And maybe some of you sang it as well, but the lyrics include this. Almost persuaded now to believe, almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. And there's a couple more verses, and the last verse is this. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter wail. Almost, but lost. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this I believe to be true. That every one of us in here, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to live a life that is holy so that we can have a clear conscience before you. And in order to have that abundant life where we're living from our core and the identity that you have given to us that results in joy and peace and love, that life, we need that. And I believe, Lord, that these are the daily practices that keep us in rhythm with the Holy Spirit. And if that's true, I pray. Those of us maybe who've been on the fence and have not taken action will feel a conviction where we will not say in our hearts and our minds once again, well, I'm almost persuaded. But rather we will have a firm conviction that we want to be led in our daily life by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.